0: Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilial Wealth, a show about markets, investing and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be Episode nine of Top of Mind with concilial Wealth. We are back once again with um, a two-part episode. So, as promised last time, we're going to talk a lot today about what are the top things that we or you could be doing in your portfolio right now, given where markets are. So, we have a number of different topics that uh, we think are relevant right now. And then uh-huh. next time, we'll be talking about what are the top financial planning things that we can be doing right now or you can be doing right now. So, next time will be much more talking about, you know, 401k things, 529 plan things, Roth conversion type things. Today, we thought we would focus mostly on strictly investments, you know, rebalancing, tax loss, harvesting, and kind of unpacking a lot of, a lot of what this stuff is and means and some things that possibly you can take care of before the end of the year. So, uh, let's get rolling here. How, uh, uh, I know you've got a good agenda here today. A how are you And and B let's jump in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Things are going great. And just for record, this is a uh, Friday, November fourth at. Thank 10 you. Timestamp. Yep,
0: <laughs> Pacific.
1: So, so whatever we say, it's going to change. If if it's a <laughs> reference to the market, that's why we timestamp just in case.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. How made me uh, for anybody watching on YouTube. So I'm coming to you live on the road here today. So the background is, well, actually a lot more interesting than it normally is because you know, as you know, it's normally just a white wall. Still, still working <laughs> on. Uh, Getting that set up. Um, so a little bit more interesting of a background for me today. All right, well, let's dive right in. So the first item we have here is rebalancing. So again, what are the top things we can be doing in your investments right now? So rebalancing. So take it away, Hal. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, well, top things to do um, in a down market is look at it as opportunities. So if you're accumulating, you should probably be looking to um, excitedly buy when everything is lower, right? And the first, probably above that, it would be check your emotions. I think decision-making is just so much better when you're making emotionless changes. And that's where rebalancing comes in. So if you're overweight in any sector or specific company or too concentrated, and most likely it, it could be tech right if you're holding too much facebook or whatever it's called meta today and it's down what 60 70% you're you're down quite a bit if that's tied to to too much of your net worth so what we mean by rebalancing is um how do you assess your entire financial well-being including your stock your real estate your bank accounts uh your insurance policies, how does that all work together? In terms of your investments, there should be a blueprint or a plan because what are you going to rebalance to? Well, I hold 12% of Apple. Is that too much, too little? In our mind, it's probably too much, but if, if you don't have a plan, you have nothing to rebalance to, if that makes sense.
0: So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's, we say rebalance, but what is the original plan? And, you know, am I taking more risk or less risk or what am I buying? And what am I, you know, you don't just want to trade to trade. What was the original plan and how have markets now deviated your portfolio from that plan? And now doesn't exactly. make sense to go back to the previously predetermined portfolio.
1: Yeah, and that's how you take your emotions out of it. Because if you're underweight, something like you, you currently don't like, like international, you're going to buy international because it's sold off a little bit more than U.S. Mm-hmm. And you might not get the timing right, but if it does rebound, you have more potential upside because you're buying something lower. It's really that simple,
0: mm-hmm. but okay, the plan so to, doesn't,
1: yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I
0: was just going to say takeaways here are have a predetermined asset allocation strategy. Hopefully you did before, but if you don't determine what that should be and then rebalance to it.
1: Correct. Yeah. And our side, we, we optimize, Those allocations, so every percentage is under extreme scrutiny Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: you only have, right, 100% to figure out where a certain amount goes to U.S. large cap, to international, to bonds, to small companies. And that should be all well thought out based on your risk tolerance.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, what's number two? So
1: the opportunities, tax loss harvesting. Everyone has, I guess, more negative impact in terms of paying taxes. I think you could speak from experience here where, um, investors typically hate paying the government on their gains. And it's either that or give your gains back to the markets. And if you held Amazon, Microsoft, uh, anything that's done really well in the last two, three years, right. If you were hesitant to lock in any gains, this is what it costs. So whatever your tax rate was it 60%, I, I can't think of a, a state or even our country that, that charges a 60% tax rate in capital gains, especially if they're long-term. So you have to weigh out what the cost is by holding concentration. So tax loss harvesting in a down market, if you recently bought those at the top, which Sometimes it happens, right? If you're consistently buying um, into your investments with new paychecks and newfound money, yes, you're always buying, which is actually really great. But down markets, while not fun, give pretty good tax loss harvesting opportunities. What that means is any position that's down, we do recommend you sell that position, even if temporarily for at least 30 days and buy something that's similar. So let's say the the NASDAQ is down. It is down well, 32%. Let's say it's down 32% and you want to still keep that exposure. All you would do is sell that position as a real, and lock in the loss, and then buy XLK or buy another tech-oriented index for the next 30 days. So that way you're losing... Or you're locking in the 32% loss, but you're not losing any exposure to that asset class. So if there is a rebound, which I hope there is really soon, if there's a rebound, you're going to participate in it.
0: So let's talk about the rules there a little bit. So you've said 30 days uh, a few times. So can you expand on on what the rules are behind making these trades?
1: So the, the rules are, if you're selling the NASDAQ, let's say it's QQQ that you sell, and you lock in a loss, there's a wash period by the IRS where if you buy that back within 30 days, that realized loss is stricken from the record books because you didn't give it enough time, at least in the eyes of the IRS, to, to – I don't know. I, I don't know why they set 30 days. It might be arbitrary, but
0: if you're buying it I think they just. Yeah, yeah they just say, well, as long as you're out for a month, you know that that's that's an okay sort of cool off period. Yeah, they're just trying to prevent you from saying, hey, I've got a loss on this particular thing, and then buy it the next sell, day, so buy it back the same day because then you would simply just lock in the loss, but not actually be out of the yeah. the holding itself. And so I I think they probably determine it's it's like a cool off period that seems reasonable. Yeah, uh, yeah, thirty days,
1: and if. You can't find anything to replace your investment in this investment universe. Um, maybe the investment might be a little too unique uh, to be tax loss harvesting, but you could do single stock with single stock, like AT and T and Verizon are usually interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, indexes are have lots lots of varieties. Um, the underlying should be relatively different enough from one another to To avoid uh, RS, IRS issues there. Uh, mm-hmm. But generally, you just want to make the change, stay out of the original investment for at least 30 days before you jump back in.
0: Yeah, I want to add one thing there. So it's a 30-day window on either side of your trade. So uh, it ends up becoming a 60-day window. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's not necessarily just triggered on the the sell also could be triggered on the buy. What I mean by that is, uh, let's imagine that you work for XYZ Big Tech and you get a stock vest and your stock vested today. And you went next week and then you sold some shares that you previously owned because they were at a loss. Uh, That would actually constitute a wash sale because your stock vested, which constitutes a buy today, and you sold say next week, that's not in 30 days, um, and so those would cancel out. And to be clear, what what this uh, how this works is the IRS doesn't you don't lose the loss. It becomes what's called a disallowed loss, which means it's really just deferred. So the loss that you would have taken or the cost basis of that is added to your other lot of shares, uh, and your cost basis is 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 then higher. Um, so if you do this mistakenly. You didn't cost yourself taxes. It's just that you can't take that loss in this particular year. Yeah. The last thought is it's on shares, not dollars, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, let's say that you vested 100 shares and you sold 50. Um, you, you, you know, again at a loss, you you couldn't take that. If you vested 100 shares and you sold 200, uh, only 100 of those shares would be constituted as a wash sale. The other hundred. You actually could, in fact, take the loss in this instance. So, kind of some uh, uh, peculiar rules behind this. Um, but bottom line, uh, if we simplify this and, and not look at it as a company stock thing, yeah. you can do this with broad-based indexes.
1: Yeah, this is specific to our clients and listeners because yeah, most of them are in the tech industry that are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that have stock compensation.
0: Yeah. Um, this is also, this only would benefit you in a non-retirement account. So, uh, the above point of rebalancing would make sense in say an IRA or a a 401k, but, um, uh, you're only taxed on those dollars if money comes out of those plans. So, um, you know, this tax loss harvesting strategy is really the only thing that would, uh, uh, it would only benefit you in a non-retirement account, like a brokerage account. So what to do with those losses? So let's say that you have um, $50,000 of realized losses due to these loss harvest sales here this year, and you have no gains this year. So you have a loss. Um, The IRS allows you to take a maximum of $3,000 per year of that loss straight off the top of your income, which depending on your tax bracket is actually decently valuable. Um, it is not 3000 per person for a married filing jointly. It is 3000 per household. Um, interestingly enough, if you are single, uh, but say living in the same household, so together, but not married, you can take 3000 each. Uh, but, uh, either way it's 3000 per household and, uh, and then the rest of it. So that 50,000 minus three, you have 47,000 of losses left. You're allowed to carry that forward into an unlimited amount of years. So if in 2023, you had $20,000 of gains and you sold those, that is now a tax free sale because you can put those against the 47,000 of losses that you carried over. Uh, And that again, just keeps going and going into future years until you utilize up all of those, those losses. So this is really, really powerful, especially if you're in a tax bracket, or if even if you have old, old stock, say, in in your tech company, you've got it at a really low cost basis. And maybe in your diversified portfolio, whether it's with us or you, maybe you're doing it on your own, if you can lock in some of these losses and then in a future year book gains on your your tech stock that, of course, we all hope comes right back. Uh, that's now a tax free transaction. That's really, really powerful. Yeah. And that I think rebalancing
1: works in down and up markets especially up markets, if you rebalance here, let's say at the beginning of the year, you were actually reducing your risk because 2021 was such a great year.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so you want to rebalance when things are out of balance, so to speak, because yeah. of that Yeah. and you want to, yeah, you want to have pocketed losses to offset any potential future gains because let's hope 2023 is a strong rebound year.
0: Totally. Yeah. So one other thing that comes to mind here that I want to mention, so the IRS does look for uh, substantially different, uh, I'd have to I'd have to look up their exact definition, but uh, basically what that means is if you own the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund and you sell it at a loss and you go and buy the uh, Fidelity S&P 500 fund, so the exact same fund, technically the IRS would say, yeah. that doesn't qualify, you bought the same thing. That's kind of the same, th- the same example of you owned Apple stock, you sold it at a loss, and you just simply bought the same thing the same day. So the IRS would look for, if you own the S&P 500 Vanguard fund and you sold it at a loss, they want you to buy something that's just a little bit different. Um, To Howe's point earlier, maybe that's more of a growth skew or a value skew. Um, So it's not same exact benchmark um, that technically would violate their tax loss harvesting rule.
1: Yeah, good point. Again, it can be similar, but it has to be substantially different enough. So Mm -hmm. if both funds say S&P 500, you're probably going to be under increased scrutiny during an audit or have that loss dismissed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to recap, tax loss harvesting is a good opportunity right now when when markets are down. Yes. you can sell holdings at losses and replace them with similar holdings. This is purely just a tax loss. Um, it's not a permanent loss of capital because you're buying something similar. Oh, paper loss, yeah, yeah. Paper loss. The hope is the thing you bought goes back up and tracks highly with the other thing that you sold, um, so you didn't miss out on whatever recovery. But again, it's a paper loss. You can use those losses against gains. To the extent fully against gains, and that's tax free. Uh, and if you didn't use all of those losses or if you didn't have any gains at all, you can take a maximum of $3,000 against your taxable income in any given year, with all of the remaining losses just simply rolling forward into future years. If you do this, beware of the, in fact, just Google wash sale rules. They're a little confusing, but also sort of simple. Uh, but just beware of that 30 day window of buys and sells uh, on either side of the transaction that you have to worry about. Sure. Yep. All right, great. Moving on next up.
1: So sell sell stocks, you don't want to hold anymore. And because you've given up on them or otherwise. So sell your losers, right? Take, take the loss, diversify, diversify, diversify. Um, and, take the benefit of tax loss harvesting. A couple of things makes make this harder than what we kind of make it out to be is, is there's like emotional attachment or some kind of anchoring attachment where you bought the stock, it was trading at 2020 highs, it's going to bounce back. I'm speaking to you, Bellaton, where it's down what, 96, 98%. That kind of a, a charge back up to where it was, you're get, you got to look at, what, 400% returns from these these levels, 500% returns, what is the investment environment gonna look like for that to work out again? If people going to have to be shut in again or find ways to pick up their Peloton bikes or restart them, I don't know how heavy those things are, Chris, you tell me, but- About 150
0: pounds. So,
1: okay. I guess not pick up those things, but pick up the membership again. Um, start exercising uh, and then find new Peloton riders. And I think that was their big thing is they, they had such growth and membership because people were locked down. Gyms were closed, right? People needed a outlet to exercise instead of going outside and walking or riding a bike. <laughs> Peloton works. It's a, it was great classroom membership group, but also, interest rates were bargain basement. So the market had more patience for growth there. Meaning, if Peloton didn't have the growth that it saw, there was quite a bit of patience for profitability to come out because interest rates were so low. Because what else would I invest my money in? Right? I can apply that to lots and lots of other companies, right? Real estate, Open Door, uh, Carvana all these things had such benefits from lower interest rates and the market environment. So if you picked a stock that had dropped below that, right. Or dropped as a result of that, you're, you're banking on an environment upcoming that will kind of mirror what we just lived through, which is highly unlikely, unless we get COVID 20 or 21 that has a high hospitalization rate where we have to shut down again, which i I can't see that ever happening for the next five decades.
0: so go ahead, go ahead, Chris first of all, I can attest that peloton's a fantastic product, uh, <laughs> and I think they don't that, advertise uh, with us. I think yeah this is not an advertisement but uh, I think it's a fantastic product and uh, but with that said I mean I, I, I think that they have some of the highest net promoter scores out of any any company out there any fitness equ- equipment company or anything so I mean they have a fantastic product um, but I think Peloton's an interesting example because of the big fall uh, you know you've got companies like Redfin Zillow that are really off and but now yeah. even you're starting to see big Tech that's off 20 30 40 50 70 80 percent which yeah. is just just wild to see. So I I think, I think the point that we want to make here is, is simple. You you don't want to anchor to that prior high, assuming that it will just jump back to it. And I think that one of the greatest challenges that investors have is we, you know, the last one of these sort of market dips, or it actually was an official recession, uh, was COVID, right? It was early 2020 markets dropped really fast, like two weeks. And then they recovered in a couple of months. And so I think the assumption a lot of times is, well, you know, it went down, but it'll go right back up to that prior high. And for many of our clients, since we work with clients that are generally in the technology space, you know, they saw their, their tech stocks worth much more uh, at the end of, of 2020 than at the beginning of 2020. Well, meanwhile, you know, the rest of the economy was shut down and, and a lot of other stocks were down. So it was kind of an interesting year for saying, uh you know, this 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 unknown environment actually benefited my stock. Yeah. Here's the point. We don't just want to anchor back to that prior high and say, well, my stock is worth X dollars a share because it was in the past. It, it probably will be at some point in the future, but it might be one year, five years, 10 years, or 50 years, or it might take three acquisitions to get back to that price, right? And so we just kind of assume that it jumps right back to the The prior high and that includes big tech too we're in a different environment today so our point is if there are stocks that you're looking at that you're saying hey i bought it it was a meme stock i was up a lot and now i'm down a lot and you're looking at it and you're saying i don't know if i think that company's going to recover again you know maybe they go up a little bit but i don't know if they're really going to come back to their prior high Mm -hmm. our thought is see above tax loss harvesting it's a good opportunity to sell that stock take the loss and reinvest in a diversified portfolio. Why do we say that? Because a diversified portfolio gives you the highest probability of recovering with the market. So rather than holding onto that stock and assuming that stock goes up, how to your point, a thousand percent or something to get back to its prior high, uh, or two hundred percent or whatever stock you're looking at, buy the market, because the market will very, very likely return to its prior high and then some in time. So we just simply look at it from an outcome standpoint. I like to say we're in the business of outcomes. Doing that heightens your probability of an outcome cuz you will that's the in biggest fact, thing the probability increases. Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. I think let's say you stuck with Webvan or Nort- Nortel networks or JDS days in 2000. These names <laughs> if you invested back in the late 90s will very very much stick out. Mm-hmm. Um if you held out for a rebound you you went very poor very fast. But Mm -hmm. the index went up, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, let's get into stock picking, right? First and foremost, let's start with the index. Picking a stock within the index, you're implying that – or not so much implying, explicitly saying that I'm going to pick the stock because it's going to beat the index. Why invest in it otherwise, right? The second is picking the right stock in the right sector. There's 11 sectors in the S&P. Do you know which one's going to beat you're in and you're out. We don't know. You could Mm -hmm. probably pick tech because over the last 10 years, but that doesn't say the next 10 years tech is going to win. Not even Mm -hmm. close. And then the industries within the sector. So if you're picking tech, are you picking the Apple types, the hardware type of industry or the the cloud like Salesforce or the server space like uh, Broadcom? or IBM, what's going to win within the tech space. And then if you're picking Apple or Microsoft, they're, they're going to be their peers within the industry too. How sure of you of, of all those levels that you're going to be. Yeah. And that's what stock picking does need to require.
0: Yeah. Sticking to what, you know, doesn't always translate into stock performance. And I know that this is hard. We hear this from our clients a lot I work in tech, so I understand tech companies, so I buy tech companies and, and it, it, it's just hard. It, It can, so many things can affect stock prices, whether it be market environment, whether it be, you know, the business plan changed, even leadership changed. Um, uh, you know, the, the market for the product changed all these things. So it's just too hard to predict. Uh, You know we're proponents proponents for diversification and not having too much of any of our clients' net worth in a single holding. Uh, We'll talk about Warren Buffett here in a little bit, but uh, this is a decent time to sort of take reins on your portfolio and take some losses. You know, reinvest in a diversified way, and 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 you know, call call that a win um, from an experience standpoint, and and you know, hopefully you've done the right thing and you haven't had so much of your net worth tied up in these things that now you're adding years to your working career. It was really more of, Hey, yeah. I had my extra money in these things to try to get crazy meme, like greater returns and Hey, maybe it worked and maybe you sold. I, I hope you did, but if you did not eh, that's okay. Hopefully it was just with a small subset of your portfolio yeah. that doesn't blow everything else up. Um, and that type of investing is totally fine. Risk is fine when it's, when it's an appropriate amount relative to your plan.
1: Yeah. And keeping it within that context, Watch out for the gambler's fallacy where if you're selling something, don't double down on the risk, right? Keep the risk in line and that all funnels back up to your plan. Because if you know where your exposure should be, if you're selling something that was risky, why would you buy something riskier in the hopes of making your money back?
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: It, it could make sense if it, in the context of your plan. So you got to watch out for that.
0: Number four: Review your target fund. This is a big one. Uh, we see these in four hundred and one k's all the time. How? I'll let you start off with this one here.
1: Yeah, so target fund actually works for a lot of workers who have four hundred and one k's because it's easy to set it for and forget it, especially if you're not a financial professional. So, what the deal is is if you're going to retire in 30 years you're going to set a target date fund from 2050 from this point mm-hmm. and it's going to invest aggressively for you initially and then start glide pathing you to a more conservative portfolio as you approach your retirement years that makes sense right that way when you're contributing to it you don't have to worry about taking on too much risk but a couple of things with these is it only considers what's in your 401k so if you pick a target date fund on the exact date of your expected retirement, you might have other assets that are set conservatively and your 401k is suddenly too conservative. So a couple of ways to combat that is start with an asset allocation, which goes back up to you got to have a plan that's optimized, which for a lot of people probably doesn't make sense because who really checks their their 401k options, right? Let's say your company starts offering new investments and taking old ones out to follow like ERISA guidelines. And that's that's more of a federal component where they want to get investments that are in the best interest of the clients, right? And you're always going to have sh- a shuffling of individual names. That's why target date funds work, because you don't have to keep up with that, all of that. But they do rebalance once a year because as you age each year, the target date shuffles the underlying funds of funds meaning it's one big fund, but it holds lots of different funds within it. Those different funds are rebalanced pretty periodically, but the overall balance of the funds of funds, you know, does a once a year rebalance. Is this the best year to do that towards the end of the year? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. It depends on what's up or down, but when you're going more aging, you're going more conservative. So you're selling, you're selling in essence, um, assets that have done worse. Mm-hmm. So a way to combat that, let's just extend your target date. Say you want to ex- retire in 30 years. Say your target date, 40 years out, that way you have other assets that are con- in control, you know, real estate bonds that balance out that 401k.
0: Yeah. I think the important piece to understand here is that all of these funds follow a glide path and your targeted date, let's say it's 2050 in this case. So that fund is designed in 2050 to hit a certain allocation. Yeah. And it's a mix of stocks and bonds. It might be 50% stocks and 50% bonds, which, by the way, is way too conservative for anybody in any case, in our opinion. Uh, but a lot of these these funds hit hit that. Some of them even continue to get more conservative beyond those dates yeah. and get all the way down to only about 30% in stocks and 70% in bonds. Uh, we don't have a single client in allocation that th- that's that conservative, uh, for a number of reasons. But um, it, it, it's it's it, you just want to understand how your target fund works. They are all different. The Vanguard one is different than the Fidelity one is different than the T Rowe Price one is different than the Principal one. Yeah. Um, and at the top of these, typically about thirty years prior to the date. So in 2030, so if you're in 2020, typically those funds are about 90 10, meaning about 90 percent in stocks and 10 percent in bonds. And this glide path that I'm describing here over this roughly 30 year period uh, slowly shifts from stocks to bonds and gets a more conservative allocation. The house point, most of these funds make these changes at the end of the year. Uh, maybe not the greatest year to make that change. Because if the fund says here today, Hey, we want to get more conservative. We're going down the glide path. We're following the investment plan. You would have in effect sold stocks now and bought bonds and got more conservative. Uh, Maybe not exactly what you want to do. How do you figure this out? Uh, Simply look up your fund. Uh, I show this commonly in meetings. I just pull up a bunch of Vanguard funds. Uh, I've got on my screen now from 2035, Uh, all the way out to 2055. And uh, you can see that the Vanguard Target Retirement 2035 fund is uh, approximately 30% in bonds and 70% in stocks. If you go to the 2040 fund, you are uh, about 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds. 2045 is about 85% in stocks and 15% in bonds. 2050, 90, 10 to 90 stocks, uh, 10 in bonds. And the 2055 is actually exactly the same as the 2050 right now. And that's just simply because of this glide path that, that Vanguard's designed for their funds. So bottom line, look up your fund, understand what it's invested in, and determine if that allocation is actually appropriate for you. You might select a fund that is beyond your targeted date. Um, we commonly recommend this to our clients. If you're a client of ours, you probably have heard us say this. Maybe your retirement date is twenty thirty, but we actually have you investing in a twenty forty target fund, because that allocation is more appropriate for where your four hundred one k should be, given your risk tolerance, given your plan, given all the things that that uh, you know we've looked at planning wise, uh, and we shouldn't actually have it in a twenty thirty, which would be much too conservative for you.
1: Yep. All um, right. It's targeted funds again. We, targeted we do prefer funds. them. Uh, other than we do prefer them than you trying to and have little interest in doing your own asset allocation, they are a good alternative.
0: Oh, yeah. But again, the best part you, about a target date fund is you can't see what's inside of it, which yeah, means you're no going to have some, some laggers or losers in there and you're going to want to sell them. And you probably shouldn't because yeah. generally those are the best ones the following year and the target date fund more or less masks all that, which is actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. So uh, as we wrap up, I know we wanted to talk about Warren Buffett, but uh, I'm going to lump in a couple, Topics here before we got to go, um, reading headlines won't make you a better investor. And if you have the extra cash invested, meaning yeah. the market's not going to give you a green light. They, do, do you know what October did in terms of performance S and
0: only know this cause we were talking about it a few minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. but I think, uh, I think people would be that shocked for to good, understand good audio. Y- yeah, <laughs> exactly. Spoiler. I know the yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah. Marco was up 5% in October.
1: Yeah. Did you see a single bit of good news from Definitely the news Definitely not. Lives?
0: Yeah. Definitely not.
1: And China uh, reconfirmed their communist anti-business take, right? They, they famously are locking down cities that have even an inkling of COVID, which we've talked about before, but that's seemingly getting worse. Ukraine, still at war. currencies around the world are in trouble because our Fed is raising rates too fast. OPEC cut production. Oil prices should be going higher, right?
0: Uh, These are all headlines that you've read, right? These are all, yeah. (laughs) yeah. This is what we're being peppered with.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all day. And the market did not care. And it said, throw that all out. We're going to charge higher. We don't need a green light. So if you're holding cash waiting for this moment, yeah, this might be a false start. But what if it's for real? None of us know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the market is forward-looking, right? We're not getting a lot of help from the Fed, but maybe we don't need it, and that's that's the point, right? We're getting a lot of noise, right? Elon Musk buying Twitter, or or uh, the series I bond going down from nine nine and a half percent. Good news, by the yeah. way. Yeah,
0: good news. Yeah,
1: right. Because we we've told our clients. We want that rate to go down because inflation overall, the trend should be going down, mm-hmm. right? That's good news. You're not gonna see much good news in the media, especially with the midterms rolling around, which we've we've shown midterm elections, post midterm elections are very good investment months. Right? We talked about it last time. Yeah. yeah. So you Tune don't into wanna...
0: episode eight if you did yes. not hear that.
1: And I, I, I'm gonna make a lot of people mad, but I don't care about your politics. No matter who's in power here, there's a certainty element to it. The market doesn't care about your politics or my politics. I've made mistakes before about, um, you know, thinking a market will go one way under certain leadership or not. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And I think the biggest thing is compounding. Uh, You can't compound money that's not invested, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to look at one of our most famous American investors, Warren Buffett, most of his wealth didn't come until, you know, after the age of 66, he's 91, right? The biggest jumps were from 80, 83 years old to 91. Mm -hmm. But Chris and I were looking at these charts. He made like his biggest percentage jumps in the 70s. And we all hear about the 70s as being the worst years to invest with high inflation and high rates, relatively high rates but someone's making money. I'm yeah. not saying we're Warren Buffett's by any stretch, but uh, that's a literal working of blood in the streets type of investing, right? His biggest gains in terms of percentages were in the mid seventies.
0: I mean, it just relates to how we talk about the the best market days follow the worst market days and time in the market, not timing the market. And it's, so why we send our call for cash emails because, hey, we think if you have extra cash, it's a good time to invest. Not that we know that the market's bottomed, but it's it's at a lower point than it was. So all good things. And that's, that's really kind of thinking like the world's longest term investor, which is Warren Buffett.
1: Yes, he's had losses. And sure, again, clients will have losses or investors will have losses. They'll hate us in the short term. In the long term, that's what we're here for.
0: I think that's really good. I think that's really good. So, I want to summarize here though your two points. So, if you have or a couple of points here, so if you have extra cash invested because hey, it's a, yeah, what's it's it doing? a lower point in the market, yeah. what's it doing? It's not earning outside, um, you know, of, of the markets, and you'll be fine long term if you're diversified. Uh, but also that now is generally not a time to get more conservative, doing so would lock in losses and not allow for the eventual recovery. And that kind of relates to the target fund issue that we explained earlier. If you're getting more conservative, even you don't know it, or if you're making a portfolio change um, that's causing your portfolio to get more conservative, um, when things recover, uh, you won't see it all come back to where it was. And that's where you hear these stories of like, I never make money in the markets, "I never make money in the markets. That's why, because people yes. make these changes at the exact wrong time. And again, overarching theme, as long as you're super well diversified, you will recover over time. Um, so we don't want to don't want to make the wrong changes at the wrong times. All right. That's all the time that we have today. We hope this was helpful in, in portfolio construction items to look at. Um, let us know. Send us your feedback if you've got any other ideas. Uh, but we hope this was helpful. We'll be back in two weeks to talk through financial planning objectives. So other uh, material things that you can yes, do. Yes, turn the to, Turn the tables. Yeah, that's right. To better your plan. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Talk soon.